Let's go ahead and open up to Romans chapter 5. We'll continue in our study in the letter to the Romans. See what the Holy Spirit has for us tonight. As we're turning there, let's go ahead and bow our hearts before the Lord in prayer. Oh, Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for all your blessings. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your word. Father, we do thank you for your Holy Spirit and all the prayers that you've answered and will answer according to your will and according to your grace. We thank you, Father. We thank you for everyone on this campus, every servant. We pray will serve in your power, love, and joy. We pray for all of us in this setting, uh, all the children and teens in their various classrooms. We pray that we would all have open and receptive hearts to your word and to the work you desire to do in and through us. Father God, I pray for the gift of teaching. I pray, Father, to be sensitive to your spirit and that, Lord, they won't hear, hear from me, but hear from your heart and help me to be faithful in communicating your heart with your people. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we're in Romans chapter 5. And we're going to cover the first five verses. And the title of tonight's message is Saints and Suffering. Saints and Suffering. Now in this world, we don't really have to go very far to see or to hear of suffering in this world. We just turn on the TV. We can open up our doors. In fact, some of us can see it in our homes or even in our families, our extended families. Sometimes we gather together at church and we can see people going through it. We can see suffering and, and pain. So we don't have to look very far. We don't have to listen that intently because it's prevalent in this world that we're living in. But when we're talking about saints and when we're talking about suffering, those combinations of the two or that combination of the two, I wonder what purpose does it have? And many of you have asked yourselves that same questions. Perhaps you have asked another saint that question or maybe in your quiet time praying to the Lord, what purpose does suffering have? Do these trials have in my life? Another question we'll find in the word of God tonight is how do we respond to those times of suffering, those times of trials, or also can be called afflictions. How do we respond? How should we respond? So let's dig into the Bible and and get the answer from the inspired word of God by looking at verse 1 in Romans 5. It says, therefore, having been justified or declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, of course, the word is is there. The word therefore is there because of what was previously said. We've been talking about the topic of justification, being declared righteous or having a right standing with God by faith. That's what we've been talking about. And then, of course, God uses, through the Apostle Paul, the example of Abraham to expound upon this topic of justification. So this is why the word therefore is there. 
having been justified by faith, we have peace with God, the God of the Bible, our heavenly father through Jesus Christ, through our Lord. This tells us in this verse that peace with God, the father is a byproduct of justification because we have faith. We have a right standing with God. We're treated as if we've never sinned. Our sins are not counted against us. And on top of that, the righteousness of Christ is imputed to us. And as a byproduct of that, we have peace with God. So what does that imply? That now we have peace with God through justification. It implies that prior to salvation... Prior to us having faith in Christ and receiving justification, prior to that, there was no peace. It means that we were once at enmity with God. We were once enemies at God, of God or at war with God. And so, of course, we had to be reconciled, as it tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 18 and 19. It says, now all things... Are of or from God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing, not counting their trespasses to them and has committed to us the word or this message of reconciliation. Now, all things in 2 Corinthians 5.18. Now, all things is a reference to what was previously said in 2 Corinthians 5. The glorified bodies and being made into a new creation and the old things passing away. And behold, all things being made new. All of those things, they come from God. This same God who has reconciled us to himself. Through who? Through Christ Jesus. Now, this word reconcile means to restore to friendship or harmony, to restore to friendship or harmony. That's what reconcile means. That means that once mankind, of course, was on friendly terms with God. And that was through Adam, who is the representative of the human race. You can read about that in the book of Genesis in the Old Testament. But then sin separated mankind, humans, from God. Sin did that. And so reconciliation has to take place. And so a major theme of the Bible, a major message of the Bible, from Genesis all the way through Revelation, the main theme is the story of redemption. Fixing what was broken, that broken relationship. Now, this reconciliation that we read about, this peace with God that we just talked about is possible through our mediator. The scriptures tell us that there is one God and there is one mediator, the man, capital M man, Christ Jesus. In other words, Jesus is the bridge between man and God, the father. There is no one who can get to the Father, who can have a relationship with God the Father. There is no one who can get to heaven 
except they go through Jesus, the bridge, our only mediator. And we can see in this word mediator, his position as high priest that we learn about in the letter to the Hebrews. He is the great high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, the scriptures tell us. And what do priests do? The priests are a go-between, again, between God and man. The priest represents God to man and man to God. The priest in the Old Testament will make sacrifices on behalf of man so that fellowship with God and man will be restored. But there is no more need for animal sacrifices because Jesus, the priest himself, shed his own blood. And he has entered into the holy of holies, the most holy place once and for all for us, our mediator, our high priest, the only one through whom reconciliation can be made between God and man. The only reason we have peace with God. In verse two, it says through whom that is through Jesus still talking about our savior through whom also we have access by faith into this grace. In which we stand. This grace is speaking of this undeserved privilege that we have. This undeserved privilege that we cannot earn. That we stand in right now. And rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And so not only are we saved by grace through faith. In other words, not only is uh, salvation in our lives. Because of the grace of God, because it is a gift from God, undeserved, unearned gift from God. And because of faith, not only is salvation on the basis of grace, but also our standing, which is our position. It talks about permanence or it speaks to permanence, a permanent position that we have in this grace, this grace in which we stand. This position of favor through faith in Jesus. And as people who stand in this privileged position of grace, we are, of course, justified. We've been talking about that for the past couple of lessons. And so that's a part of the privilege, a part of the grace in which we stand. And that peace of God that we've been talking about tonight, a part of our privileged position, that grace in which we stand. And also as a part of that grace that we stand in, that permanent position we stand in, a part of that, a part of the benefits of that is the fact that we can come boldly to the throne of of grace and we could obtain mercy and we can find grace in times of need. We also find in the book of Hebrews. Ephesians, of course, tells us that we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That is because we stand in an undeserved privilege. That privilege that we call grace. And then it says in the second half of verse two that we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And this hope is a happy certainty. Or absolute certainty. That is what that hope is referring to. And so we can, as believers, as people who put their faith in Christ, we can rejoice in the certainty 
that we have of seeing the glory of God, the splendor, the magnificence, the beauty of God. Moses in the Old Testament asked to see the glory of God and, and God told him, look, you, you can't, I can't do that because you, you can't look at my face. No man can see my face and live. Not in this current state, not in these non-glorified bodies or these unglorified bodies. That cannot happen. Scriptures also tells us that he dwells in an unapproachable light. But then you go to Revelation toward the end of the book and it says that we shall see his face. That is in eternity. That is in our glorified body. So one day that's going to happen and we can rejoice in that certainty of seeing the glory of God one day. And not only seeing his face, seeing him face to face one day. But also it, it speaks of the fact that we will have those, those bodies that will not perish anymore. Those bodies that will be immortal. And all of this, of course, is in the future, but we have this hope. We have this certainty. And not only that, not only can we rejoice in that glory, that glory that, that we'll see one day, God's glory, but also we glory or rejoice in tribulations. Knowing that tribulation produces or results in perseverance. And so tribulations can be identified as problems and trials. And for the purpose of this lesson, sufferings. And what does the Bible say about suffering? A topic I believe is not that popular right now, but it's in the word of God. So what does the Bible say about suffering? Well, first of all, suffering exists for mankind because of the effects of the sin of Adam, which I mentioned earlier. And part of the effect of the sin of Adam is that it ultimately leads to death. And so we have this cursed earth and these cursed bodies that we're in right now when sickness and diseases and pestilence and, and all these things that, that lead to death. And let's say we never got sick. Our bodies will still decay because of sin. That's the effect of sin. The curse. But another Another reason there's suffering in this world is the fact that we are in this world. Matter of fact, Jesus says in John 16, 33, it says, these things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace in the world. You will have tribulation, you have suffering, you'll have trials, you're going to have problems and trouble. This is something that Jesus says we will have, not might. But he says, be of good cheer. Could also be translated, be courageous. I have overcome the world. And so again, the, the second reason we have suffering in this world is the fact that we are in this world. And who is the God of this world? Who is the ruler of this world? Prince of this world. 
It tells us that the devil is. Satan is. In other words, he, he has sway. He influences this, this world system. This world system is modeled after the character and after the ways of Satan. But Jesus says, I have overcome the world. And he can say that because he has overcome, he has defeated the ruler of this world. So positionally, Satan is defeated. But until the time of the end where he is finally cast into that lake of fire, until then, he's still running rampant. And he really doesn't have power over the believer except what we give him. But he is, and his army, is a defeated enemy. As a matter of fact, it says that Jesus disarmed the enemy. He made them an open spectacle on the cross. Triumphant. And because he's been defeated, Jesus can say, I've overcome the world. Therefore, look, although you are in this world, and as long as you're in this world, you're going to have troubles. Listen, you can have peace in me. And you can be courageous or be of good cheer. You can do those things. Because we serve a victorious and risen Savior. Another reason they're suffering for some people. Is because it does say say that God afflicts the disobedient. And so those who are not in Christ, of course. Who are rejecting Christ. God brings affliction upon them, but also he can spank or chastise believers who are being disobedient. To get us to that place of repentance and and back into fellowship. And notice I I didn't say back in relationship because as believers, we still have the relationship. But when we sin, we can be out of step with him. Out of fellowship. And so that's why repentance is needed. That's why sometimes we, we need those spankings. And hopefully we obey before the spankings come. But afflictions, just to get back to point number three, could be sometimes because they come from God. But overall, as as Christians, overall, what we should take from this lesson is that we should not be surprised by by any sufferings we may face. And I'm not talking about. Uh, disobedient Christians at this point. I'm just talking about suffering in general for the saints. In Philippians 1 verse 29. It says for to you. Listen to this gift. To you it has been granted or given on behalf of Christ. Not only to believe in him. Okay we smile like that. But how about the second part. Of Philippians 129, but also to suffer for his sake. It has been granted to you, given to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. And I like how it flows. Although I'm going to a different letter, it flows with Philippians 129. In first Peter 317, it says, for it is better if It is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Don't suffer as an evildoer. Don't suffer because you're a thief. Don't suffer because you're being disrespectful to an authority figure. 
But if it is the will of God, if you're going to suffer, suffer for doing good. It's telling us in 1 Peter 3.17. But if suffering comes, what should our response be? And notice it doesn't say our, our response should be rejoicing because of trouble, because of tribulation. But we rejoice in it while you're going through it it says rejoice not rejoicing because it's here i'm about to get slapped upside of the head i'm about to get go through some suffering i'm oh yay no while you're in it it says rejoice that should be our response and why should we rejoice in suffering why should we rejoice in Tribulation while we're going through it. And one reason is that tribulation or these sufferings, these afflictions, they produce perseverance. And perseverance could be described as patient endurance. The word patient means bearing pains or trials calmly or without complaint or complaining. And endurance is the ability to withstand hardship or adversity. And so if I combine these definitions of the word patient and endurance, I come up with this for perseverance. The ability to withstand hardship calmly or without complaint. And so that's one thing that suffering produces that perseverance and a person with perseverance with that patient endurance is a person who is steadfast is a person who is unwavering in their faith is unwavering is in their focus of God is unwavering or immovable when it comes to their hope of heaven that is a person who has perseverance Or who has perseverance produced in them through suffering, through trials, through affliction. And then, of course, when another trial comes, we'll have a greater ability to persevere. We'll have a greater ability, in other words, to keep it simple, to hang in there. So that perseverance is the ability to hang in there. To not give up when the going gets tough. And God uses suffering to get us to that point. In James chapter 1 verses 2 and 4, for some of you Bible scholars who probably already turned there, or who are already quoting that in your minds. In James 1, 2 through 4, it says, My brethren, speaking to believers, count it or consider it all joy when you fall into various, all kinds of trials. Knowing this, knowing that the testing of your faith produces what? Patience, produces endurance, that ability to hang in there calmly, to not give up, to be steadfast and immovable, not taking your eyes off of the hope of heaven, off of God. And let patience, in verse 4 of James 1, let patience have its perfect work. Let patience have its full effect in your life that you may be perfect. In other words, mature and complete, lacking nothing. Allow it to have its way 
It's God's design to mature us, to make us complete so that we'll be lacking nothing. The testing of our faith produces that. In verse 4, and perseverance in turn. So remember that suffering, that tribulation produces perseverance, that patient endurance, right? And now this perseverance, guess what? It's developing character. And this character is developing or strengthening hope. And so we see uh, the second reason to rejoice in our suffering. And that is because perseverance develops character. And what is character? It, it is that character is made up of the mental and moral qualities that are distinctive to a person. That's what character is. And so that perseverance is developing a character that is tested and proven. A character that is battle tested. And it comes out as a proven character. As a matter of fact, one Bible teacher says it this way. He says that Paul is speaking of sterling character. A character without impurities. So perseverance is designed to produce that type of character within us. We also see in this scripture, in verse 4, a third reason to rejoice in suffering. And that's because this character that's developed in us from tribulation and, and of course, perseverance, that same character strengthens hope that joyful and confident expectation of eternal salvation of coming good that happy and absolute certainty so god uses that character that's built up in that to get us to that place of hope and now in verse five that that hope does not disappoint that hope does not put us to shame Because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by what? Or by who, I should say. The Holy Spirit who was given to us. Holy Spirit. The third person of the Trinity. The triune God. Three in one. Not one plus one plus one. That's three, right? I'm an English major. Help me with the math. But one times one times one. Right? So still one, this triune God, we we see all of them here in this scripture, actually. In our study tonight, we, we see we see the doctrine of the Trinity, because in verse one, we see the phrase where it says peace with God, first person of the Trinity, that's the father. And then, of course, we see through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the son, second person of the Trinity. And then here in verse five, we hear of the Holy Spirit, the one God, all involved in our lives, in our walk. So this hope that we have that's produced by this character that has grown from our perseverance. Now, we won't be disappointed because of it. The Holy Spirit He pours the love of God in our hearts. 
And so what we see here is this chain reaction or what I call a domino effect that starts or begins that suffering or tribulation. It begins there and then it takes us to the point of having a stronger hope. Many of you, maybe when you were younger, maybe you still do it right now. You, you stack dominoes, you stood them up, and then you pushed one, and then you see this chain reaction. You see this domino effect. One domino knocks over the other domino until it gets to the last one. And some of you are so good, you can make great designs out of it. And so in this lesson tonight, we see this domino effect. And it begins again as suffering, and it takes us to a stronger hope. So what do we learn from this domino effect that we see in tonight's lesson? Well, the main thing that I see in this domino effect is that God has a plan. God is not surprised. He's not taken aback by the suffering that we go through as believers, as saints, as his children. No, he has a plan. He is on a throne and he has never vacated it. And he will never leave his throne. He is a sovereign God who is in control. And he has a plan. I once read in this article that's entitled Diamonds on Earth. What it says in this article here is that diamonds are formed deep within the earth. About a hundred miles or so below the surface in the upper mantle of the earth. And this article says, obviously, and that part of the earth is very hot. And in that part of the earth, in the mantle, it says that there's a lot of pressure. The weight of the overlying rock bearing down. That's where the pressure is coming from. And so you have this combination of, of high pressure and, this, and, and also temperature, high temperature. And what they discovered is that this high temperature and this high pressure is what's necessary to grow diamond crystals in the earth. The article goes on and say, as far as we know, all diamonds that form in the earth form under those types of conditions. Now, read that because what I find interesting is also when we look at the Greek word behind tribulation, We see that it can also mean a pressing, pressing together, or it could also mean, guess what? Pressure. And so what I take from that spiritually is that when the heat, when the pressure is turned up in our lives through suffering, through pain, through trials, what God is doing because he has a plan is he's making a diamond out of us. He's making a precious jewel out of us through this pressure and, and this high temperature that is turned up in our lives. And so we begin to grow spiritually. And when we talk about growing spiritually, what we're talking about, we're talking about less of us, less of me and more of God. So you see less of Darrell and you see more of Jesus. You're talking about being more like Christ in your lives when you're talking about spiritual maturity. When you're talking about being shaped and molded by God into a diamond. Spiritual maturity. So when we see that God has that plan for us to make us into this spiritual diamond. 
the, the spiritual jewel, more Christ-like, when we see that wonderful plan that he has for us, even in the midst of tribulation, even in the midst of trials and our afflictions and suffering. There is no wonder we are told to rejoice. There is no wonder why it says that we glory in tribulations. And glory could also mean boast, that we boast in, that we rejoice in tribulation. There's no wonder we can do that. And again, it's, it's not because of those tribulations. But it's while we are in, we can glory in them. And a couple of people that I could pull from scripture, they, they serve as great examples of people who rejoice in tribulation, in their trials, in their suffering. Is the apostle Paul and Silas. They went to a city called Philippi. And while they were in Philippi, there was this slave girl and she had this spirit of divination. It was a demonic spirit. And she was able to tell fortunes or participated in fortune telling. And through that, through this demonic spirit, she was able to make a lot of money for her masters. And so this slave girl with this demon within her will follow the apostle Paul, will follow Silas around and say, hey, these are servants of the most high God. And guess what? They proclaim to us the way to salvation. And so the apostle Paul, the scriptures tell us that he, he got annoyed with her and he rebuked that demon and that demon came out of her. The scriptures tell us that very hour. Now the masters of, of this, of the slave girl, they were highly upset with the apostle Paul and Silas because they said, look, you are taking away our prophet. And so they dragged them to the magistrates. They dragged them to the authorities. And guess what? The apostle Paul and Silas, they were beaten. They were cast into prison and then they were shackled. But the scriptures tell us in Acts 16 verse 25 that at midnight while they were in prison, while they were shackled, while they had those bruises and those probably cuts on their backs or wherever they got whipped. While they're in that pain, it says that they sang hymns and they prayed to the Lord. And it was at midnight. And most of you know about midnight. Midnight is a dark time of the day. And so if you can pitch, picture this time of darkness, if you can picture this time that many people would deem as scary, even especially when you're a young child, you think of midnight, you think of dark and, and scary. You don't want to go outside. You don't even want to come out of the covers. You put the covers over your head. You shut the door, whatever. You might want to go in the room with your parents if you're a child. So midnight is a scary time. And so it's dark and scary for these men, for these believers. And at the same time, they are in prison. They are trapped. And many times, that's how sufferings, that's how tribulations can make us feel. It's a scary time for us. It's a dark time for us. We feel shackled. We can't move anywhere. We feel paralyzed. Because of this suffering, because of this tribulation, we feel that there is nowhere to go, nobody we can call, no matter what we do. Sometimes it seems like our prayers even fail and this trouble, these trials will not go away. 
But the apostle Paul and Silas, we can take a lesson from them. They, they, they praise God. They, they pray to him still and they sang hymns to him even in their darkest hours, even at a time where they could not go anywhere. But I wonder, is that how we have reacted in the past? Is that how we are reacting today, even in the midst of our trials, in the midst of our tribulations today? And no wonder they can react that way because in, 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 in Romans 8, 18, and which we'll get to, Lord willing, later on in the letter to the Romans, in Romans 8, 18, it says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy They're not worthy to compare, to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. No wonder they can sing uh, songs to God and, and pray to him in their darkest hours. And many of you can do the same. No wonder because you're heavenly minded. These sufferings. Again, it's almost like a part two to last week's study. They're not worthy to be compared with the glory. That shall be revealed in us or to us. But not only can we rejoice in that. But we could also rejoice in the fact as we see in verse 5. That our hope. The hope that we have. That hope that we have from tribulation to perseverance. To, to our character being strengthened. To that hope. That hope. We can rejoice in that because it will not disappoint. In other words, it will not put us to shame. It would not make us look silly. These people that we're talking to at work or in our family, unbelievers that we come across maybe in our neighborhoods. And we're talking about this hope of heaven. We will not be made silly because of that hope. Why is that? It's because it's because of the Holy Spirit and him pouring the love of God into our hearts. And so just to explain that a tad bit later, many of us have already heard of the love of God. We've read it. We've heard of it many of times. We've said many of times, we even hear the world saying it, that God is love. So yes, we, we hear about this love. Because of this love, we see that God gave his son. Because of this love, Jesus stayed on the cross. In 1 Corinthians 13 and 7, notice what it says about love because we've been talking about endurance, right? Notice what it says about love. 1 Corinthians 13, 7, it says, love endures all things. Exactly what Jesus did on the cross. He endured that shame and that pain and that suffering that was on the cross. That's what he did. So we see, we observe, we hear about this love of God. We read about the about God calling us his children. And the very fact that he calls us his children because of our faith in Jesus is a sign of his love for us. But now getting back to that love that the Holy Spirit pours into our hearts. Because what we talked about is an object of love, a love that we hear and read about, right? But that that love that the Holy Spirit poured into our hearts is a, a love that we experience. And so we go from a head knowledge and we go to experiencing the love of God. And so we have this deep inner sense of the love of God. It's not just on pages that we see written in black ink. It's not just there anymore. 
It's not just written in red when we see in John 3.16, Jesus talking for God so loved the world. It's not just on the pages anymore. But that love of God becomes real to us now because of the Holy Spirit pouring God's love into our hearts. And so we have this inner sense of God's love that, hey, we never felt this love before. And then we have this reminder of the love of God. We're reminded of that love through the Holy Spirit of when we were in danger and God blessed us to escape when when we needed some type of provision, whether it's food or uh, a financial blessing, God loved us so much to make sure that we had those provisions. All of those trials that he brought us through, the Holy Spirit reminds us by experience. Hey, remember when God brought you through that trial? That's an example of us now experiencing the love of God, going from a head knowledge to experience. And that's what the Holy Spirit does for us. We have that inner sense of his love, a love that you never felt before. Well, some people have been in the game before and you thought that was love, but it wasn't this type of love that the Holy Spirit poured into our heart. Some of you have boyfriends and girlfriends that you broke up with and you thought that was love, but that is not the same type of love the Holy Spirit pours into our hearts, that love of God that we experience. So from a head knowledge type of love to experience. And guess what? If God loves us this much, as it's suggested in verse five, then we could be assured of receiving that hope that we have in Christ Jesus. Why? Because a loving God had made that promise to us. And the Holy Spirit is like, hey, God loves you. Here's the experience of that love. And therefore, we can be confident that, yeah, what we hope for is going to come to pass. And as Pastor Jim comes up, and I don't know if he has a final song or a few songs, We just want to summarize some things for you and also point out something additional because as we have gone through this lesson, we we learned about how we should be responding to sufferings or tribulation. That's what we learned. And of course, with good reasons, because they're designed to mature us, to make us into spiritual diamonds. They're designed To get us to a place of stronger hope. And hope is speaking of that which is unseen. And that which is future. And so yes in summary. That's what we learned. About why we should be rejoicing during these times. But just so you know. Because there could be some people right now. Who are experiencing pain and suffering. And tribulation and trials. There's also something else that we could be doing right now and should be doing. And that could be found in James chapter 5 verses 13 through 16. And pay special attention to the first question. Because in James 5 13 it says, is anyone among you suffering? Then guess what we should be doing? We learn we should be rejoicing, right? But guess what we, what else should we be doing? It says, then let us pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let them sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. 
That's why we anoint your heads with oil when we pray for you when you're sick. And it says, and the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. God does not want to overlook the spiritual aspect. If there's sin involved, of course. And confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. But again, special attention. To 13, is anyone among you suffering? Don't neglect the prayer aspect. And we're going to have communion tonight. We celebrated on Sunday. And we thank God for the ministry that that God uh, placed in Tony's life. And how Tony ministered on Sunday and how he led the communion part of the service. But also we can partake of communion again, or if you weren't here Sunday, you can partake of that for the first time this week. And so communion is for believers. And when we partake of communion, the bread or the cracker in this case, what we have here at the front and in the back. Of course, that represents the body of Christ that was beaten that was bludgeoned and just broken for us. And then we partake of the, the juice that's there, that element, which represents the, the blood that was shed on the cross. For the scriptures tell us in Leviticus that the life of the flesh is in the blood. And so his very life was given for us, was poured out for us on that cross. And so as we partake of communion, we... We want to ask the Lord if there's any sin in our life we need to confess and repent of because it's a time of evaluation. It's a time of reverence, high respect for the Lord, for the body and blood of Christ. And it is a time of gratitude and celebration. But as we partake, we're proclaiming his death until he comes. We're preaching that sermon like, yes, he died for me constant reminder of of his suffering for us speaking of suffering so i'll just say a prayer and as you uh feel moved to um, you'll come to the front or the back and just take the elements there back to your seats pray by yourself or or with your spouse partake on your own but let's pray Father, I thank you for tonight. I thank you for your grace and for your mercy. I pray for anybody who's going through it. Lord, that pressure is high. That temperature is high. That pain and suffering, Lord, I pray. That only will they come forward at the end of service to receive prayer. But maybe even. Turn to another brother or sister in Christ next to them. That they'll pray for one another. And Father, I pray that you would give us a heart of rejoicing. Because we know your plans for us. You always want the best for us. I pray, Father, over this communion. Father, you would bless the elements.
Bless the partakers. We thank you for that body and blood of Christ. And Lord, may you bless my brothers and sisters when they leave this place, but not your presence. And may you encourage them, use them, and give them victory this week. In the mighty name of Jesus. And let us all say amen. Amen. Thank you so much for coming out. Thanks for your attentiveness. And as usual, if I don't speak to you before you leave, I love you. God bless you. God keep you. Amen.